0: Welcome to the Morgan Aviation Podcast. Morgan Aviation Podcast. A unique perspective on all things aviation from the pilot's point of view. And here's your host, Jake Morgan. All right, guys. Welcome to the Morgan Aviation Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Morgan. I am a uh, certificated private pilot in North Central Ohio, just kind of breaking down My opinions on things in aviation and uh, different things that have happened to me and just kind of my perspective. So what we're going to be talking about in this episode is the one and only time I've ever broken an airplane or uh, done any kind of damage to one. So we'll kind of talk about that a little bit Um, and also kind of the scenario leading up to that. So we'll just go ahead and jump right in here. So I got a text message from my flight instructor one day saying, hey, are you going to be available this afternoon to uh, go flying? I need an extra pilot. um, And if you want to come with me, uh, you'll get some flight time. And I'm like, well, yeah. Anytime I have an opportunity to get some flight time and I'm available, I am uh, always willing to do that for sure. So um, we needed to go from Bucyrus which is our home airport to Portage County uh, Regional Airport which is uh, Kilo Papa Oscar Victor. Um, We're flying her Piper Archer over there um, with her husband uh, dropping the Archer off and then she and I were going to fly the 150 back. So the 150 was over at Portage County at uh, custom aviation i believe is the name of the the shop but it the plane was getting repainted so the plane was all the 150 was all done and ready to fly back so we were going to fly over there peg and i were going to hop out of the plane take the 150 and fly it back um since it the paint was all done on it um so basically what we did we flew over there just fine got to play around with some of the cool equipment in the uh the Archer that was recently installed so they had a couple Garmin G5s uh installed in the plane and an autopilot so we're kind of able to uh familiarize a little bit more with with how that stuff works which is pretty cool um and uh just kind of seeing how all that would break down uh For those of you who don't know what a Garmin G5 is, basically it's a square or rectangular shaped instrument that replaces the the traditional steam gauges. So instead of like your normal dial gauges, um, it's a digital screen that has a battery backup um, that replaces the, the normal steam gauges. So there's two of those installed and the autopilot. So one works as the uh, synthetic horizon or attitude indicator. And the other one, I can't remember what she had set up on it. I think it was a, uh, another gyro, um, or something to that effect, but I don't remember for sure what the second one was, but I know the one was the, uh, uh, attitude indicator. Um, but anyway, we got to Portage County. We flew over there. Okay, no problem. Uh, flew past uh, Kent State University, which is kind of busy air traffic over there because there's a flight school, part 141 flight school over there, um, and landed at Portage County. Got everything unloaded in the plane. Checked out the new paint job on the 150, which is pretty cool. Everything looked really good with that. And uh, we started getting everything loaded up. So Peg and I got all of our stuff, took it over to the 150. Taxied it over to the FBO, and went ahead and checked our fuel, did our weight and balance calculations, um, and got everything ready to go with the airplane. Went over and uh, there was a little bit of a line for the self serve fuel. We needed to refuel the airplane, so we went ahead and uh, we had to wait a few minutes before we could get over to the self self serve fuel. Um, but we got the plane all filled up and we were good to go. So. One of the things that that I kind of learned from this whole experience was paying attention to your surroundings and having good situational awareness regardless of the situation. So a lot of times uh, we think about having good situational awareness in aviation when we're flying the airplane, you know looking out for traffic, things of that nature but it starts way before that so, I had already done, we had already done the the pre flight on the airplane. So we had checked everything out, gone around, made sure all the uh, systems and everything were functioning properly. We were good to go. Um, But I'm not a super narrow bodied person necessarily. I mean, I'm not uh, big by any means, but I've got relatively broad shoulders. And all of the flight time that I've had previous to this, was in a Cessna 172 mic model. Now, think we're in a Cessna 150, which just to kind of put it into perspective, the amount of room that we normally have in between the seats on the 172 is probably somewhere in the, I don't know, three to four inch ballpark minimum of gap in between the uh, the front two seats in the airplane. So the the left and right front seat in the airplane, there's usually a three or four inch gap at minimum. Okay. With a Cessna 150, the seats are a little bit narrower. So not only are you losing a little bit of uh, room on the seat itself, but the seats are touching each other. So you gotta think you're pretty much shoulder to shoulder if you're sitting too wide in a Cessna 150. Um which for those of you that aren't uh Familiar, the Cessna 150 is a little bit smaller version of the Cessna 172. So the 172 is a single engine four seater, where the Cessna 150 is traditionally a two seater. Uh, So just a little bit more compact, a little bit tighter quarters. So that's kind of what we're dealing with. So back to uh, we've got the pre flight, all that stuff done, Um, everything's ready to go in the airplane. So we are getting loaded up. We've already refueled. Um, Peg hops in, I hop in, and I'm used to the width that I normally have in the Cessna 172. So, I go to close the door. I grab it with my right hand and kind of pull my left arm up to my chest to get it out of the way. I slam the door, because usually in these older small airplanes, you kind of have to slam the door to get it to latch a little better. Um, And my elbow goes through the pilot side window. So I I basically snap this window into four different pieces. And I just kind of sit there for a second because I didn't realize that I had done it initially. I mean, I felt the the window kind of tap my elbow. Um, and then I look over and just kind of see the, the window of the airplane is all broken. And I just kind of sit there in disbelief for a couple seconds, like, uh i just broke the window in the airplane so i'm i'm thinking all these thoughts are rushing through my head at the same time are we going to be able to fly back now peg's going to be mad at me how much is this going to cost to replace uh am i going to get fired as a student blah 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 so i just kind of stopped for a second and turned to peg and i'm like hey i just broke the airplane and she's like okay you know thinking i'm joking and i'm like no really i just i broke the window of the airplane and she's like, oh, no, it's probably just not latched or whatever. So she looks around me, and she's like, oh, no, definitely the window's broken. And I'm like, yeah, I, I shut the door and must have uh, hit my elbow and busted the window. She's like, okay, well, let's take a look at it. We, uh, It wasn't broken bad enough to be able to not fly the plane back, which is good. Um, the big thing was the, the window stopped stayed intact and it stayed inside the frame of the window the actual plexiglass stayed in place so it cracked the window kind of in four quadrants basically but it didn't blow out the window so it still stayed in there and we were able to secure it to where it didn't move and uh wasn't leaking a bunch of air in and out so it wasn't that big of a deal so anyway long story short try to pay attention to everything that's going on in your situation Especially if they're, you're flying an unfamiliar airplane, um, and if it's a different model airplane than what you're normally used to, or not necessarily the airplane itself, just try to pay attention um, when you're in a situation that's not necessarily 100% what you're used to or comfortable with. Uh, just try to keep an open mind and, and be attentive to those kind of things. It's just kind of pretty eye-opening for me. Um, but peg was really understanding, you know, it was no big deal. And, uh, they got the window replaced and, and it wasn't a big problem, but I felt horrible when I did that. And, uh, I thought she was never going to forgive me, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. But anyway, we, uh, we taxi over after we get the uh, window taken care of, uh, There wasn't a whole bunch of traffic when we were getting ready to leave. Uh, It was pretty much right at dusk, just uh, uh, past uh, evening civil twilight. So it was technically night flying time, um, which was kind of nice. It's pretty cool being able to see all of the the lights at night. So you see all the cities and all the different airports glowing from a distance. And kind of seeing the instrument panel... Uh, from a different perspective. So, you're used to seeing everything during the daytime relatively well lighted. Everything's visible. All of the labels above different instruments and switches are really easy to see. Where at nighttime, uh, it's kind of the opposite. So, you still can see all the instruments. They're usually all backlit. Uh, so, there is some lighting uh, illuminating the instruments themselves, but the panel is usually quite a bit harder to see. All of the little labels and uh, Uh, The lettering and and things for all the different switches and knobs are a lot harder to see, especially in a a plane that I wasn't totally familiar with as far as where all the instrumentation and everything was. So trying to get used to where everything was, aside from the six-pack, the traditional flying gauges, as far as all like the lighting switches and things of that nature were a little bit harder to find, and the switches as far as the radio because the cabin is just kind of in a faint red glow because you do have an overhead light that is red. Uh, so you still have some illumination, but it's also not killing your night visibility either. Um, I usually wear a headlamp when I fly at night too, that has white and red options as far as the headlamp, uh, light is concerned. Um, but we are on our way flying back. We're seeing all these, uh, different cities from a different perspective now because it's, it's dark. Uh, I was able to get a decent amount of night flying. We stopped. Uh, we decided we were going to stop over at Mansfield, uh, which is about halfway back from Portage County, maybe two thirds of the way back. Um, that's our local class Delta airport, KMFD, Kilo Mike Foxtrot Delta. Um, and cause Peg kind of wanted to show me the, my flight instructor, wanted to show me the difference in the approach lighting uh, at Mansfield versus what we have at Bucyrus. So, Bucyrus has the traditional uh, taxi uh, runway lights, the runway threshold lights, uh, like you would see at a normal class golf airport, where Mansfield, with it being a class delta, uh, they have a little bit more advanced runway lighting. So, they have a Malsar Uh, lighting system, M-A-L-S-R, which is a, it stands for medium intensity approach lighting system with runway alignment lights. So instead of having just basically an outline of where the runway is, they have the runway like you normally would see, but they also have a line of runway lights leading out, uh, I don't remember the exact distance, I want to say it's like 12 or 1500 feet, uh, ahead of the runway that align with the center line of the runway. So not only do you have the outline of the runway itself, you also have like a, uh, a guide that'll kind of lead you into the runway in the first place. And they also have your uh, precision uh, glide slope guidance lights, where Bucyrus has uh, just a traditional Pappy uh, guidance lights, which is just a, a four – a horizontally – mounted four light pod that changes colors uh, to tell you whether or not you're on the appropriate glide slope. So when you're coming into Bucyrus, if you're on the appropriate glide slope, you should have two red and two white lights. Uh, That tells you you're on the appropriate glide slope. If you're too high, you'll have three or four white lights. And if you're too low, you will have three or four red lights to kind of give you an idea if you're too high or too low coming in at night or if you're coming in during a low visibility situation if you're flying IFR or something like that. But we stop at Mansfield, get to see the uh, lighting system, which it's pretty amazing. That's a lot bigger airport than what Bucyrus is. There's just a single runway at Bucyrus. They have multiple runways at Mansfield and a bunch of like a whole chain of taxiway system over there uh to the multiple fbos and restaurant there's a subway over there and all kinds of stuff air traffic control tower and you can see all the the different lights not only Manf- mansfield itself is a lot bigger town than what be cyrus is so the lights coming off the city which is pretty cool um and then just to the it would be the southwest of the airport is a uh, a hospital um they're at the mall in Mansfield, Richland County Mall or Rich yeah, Richland Mall. And uh they have this big tower out front where the uh mall is that's these red and purple and green lights that surround this tower, which is pretty cool seeing it all backlit. But anyway, we leave Mansfield, we do a few touch and goes over there just to kind of get some uh land night landings over there with the controlled tower. Um And we start heading back towards Bucyrus. So we get past Mansfield proper, and we're flying back towards Bucyrus, which is about 35 miles, I think, roughly from Mansfield to Bucyrus. And we fly past a couple of other airports on the way there. Um, And most of those are on the same frequency as Bucyrus is. So we are... Probably 15, 12 to 15 miles out uh, from Bucyrus. We can see Bucyrus, but we can't pick out where the airport itself is. Um, And we're trying to get the the pilot-controlled lighting turned on. So if you're not familiar with how pilot-controlled lighting works, you key up the uh, mic on the radio. Usually there's a a frequency that you tune into that uh, turns on the pilot-controlled lighting. So... The runway lighting and things of that nature don't necessarily turn on at all the airports all the time at night, so they're not always on. Some bigger airports, they are all on all the time at night, usually traffic-controlled airports, but uh, usually pilot-controlled airports like that, the lights don't turn on unless you need them on. So you'll key up the mic uh, a certain number of times to turn the lights on, and then you can key it up a few more times to control the intensity of the light. So it's usually a high, medium, and low setting you can turn these on with. So we're high enough. Uh, we're we're cruising at about, I don't remember what the altitude was. We're probably somewhere in the 4,500 feet ballpark. Um, and we are probably 12 miles away at this point. So I'm flying over about where Galleon would be, which is on the same frequency, uh Galleon, Bucyrus, and Marion are all kind of in this triangle together. They all work on the same uh, frequency, and they all have the pilot-controlled lighting is on the same frequency as well, 122.8. So we're keying up the mic trying to get the pilot-controlled lighting at Bucyrus to turn on. We see Galleon come on and Marion come on, which is about 30 miles south of where Bucyrus is, but Bucyrus isn't turning on. And we're trying to figure out what's going on because obviously we're on the right frequency because it's the same as all the other ones. And uh, we're getting another airport that's 45 miles away pick up and it works, but the one that's 12 isn't. Um, but we just keep heading towards uh, Bucyrus where we know kind of the landmarks of how to get us into the airport, at least get us in the ballpark anyway. And uh, we get about six or seven miles out and finally the, the lighting works we were able to key it up and the pilot controlled lighting turned on so we're good to go then we uh able to make our way back around uh do a couple landings there at busiris and then we put the plane away for the night kind of debrief at the end and uh like i said it wasn't that big of a deal but i felt horrible about breaking the window in the airplane i was surprised during that entire flight because we were probably flying for i don't know an hour and a half, two hours uh, with all the takeoffs and landings at Mansfield and then a couple more at Bucyrus on our way back. Um, But it was a little bit cooler that evening, but there wasn't too much airflow. I would have thought with breaking the window in the airplane that it would have been blasting me with wind pretty much the whole way, but it wasn't. It was so tight, uh, locked in with the other panels that it didn't hardly move at all, which was awesome. But I, I, I talked to Peg after the fact and uh, my flight instructor and was just kind of breaking down kind of what happened. And uh, she was a lot more cool with it than I was. Obviously, you know, being a flight instructor, you have to expect that students are going to have these kind of mistakes every once in a while. But I still felt horrible about it anyways. But it is what it is um but we got over it and i haven't flown that plane a whole lot since then <laughs> uh and i pretty much come to uh uh kind of the acceptance that there's no way that i would ever probably buy a 150 i would still fly the plane there's nothing wrong with the plane it's a nice airplane i still want to fly it some more um and uh, I'm trying to get some more familiarization flights with her in that plane. That way I can uh, just kind of take it whenever I want. But uh, more so just from my my family dynamic, you know, I've got a wife and two kids. It makes more sense for me to have a four-seat airplane than it does a two-seat airplane when I look to buy one in the future anyways. But nothing wrong with, with me flying the 150, especially if it's just me and my wife wanting to go somewhere. But... Like I said, just the big thing, the biggest takeaway from all this was just trying to make yourself more situationally aware, even in situations where you you wouldn't think that it would be that much of an issue uh, with something as simple as just shutting the door on the airplane. But obviously, it it can make a huge difference, and that could it could have went a lot worse than it did. The fact that the the window was able to be stabilized in a position to where we could still fly the airplane safely. We didn't have to worry about pieces going flying around. Uh, We were able to secure the window and it was okay, but it could have been a lot uh, bigger of an issue than it was, but just trying to make sure you stay situationally aware. But all right, guys, I'm going to break it off right here hope you're able to get some good information from this episode uh, if you enjoyed it make sure you uh, hit the subscribe button on wherever you're getting your podcast whether it's Google podcast Apple Podcast Spotify or wherever else you might get your podcast from and if you were able to uh, get some good information for this uh, make sure you share it to someone you think might also be able to get some information from it and if you could leave us a good review on wherever your're your podcast site would be. It definitely helps us to get the word out and help other people uh, that might be able to get some good information from the content as well. Otherwise, thanks for coming, guys, and we'll see you on the next one.